Cats, are the warm weight on your lap, the soft texture of a silent room, the romantic loner, the airy defiance of gravity, the liquid ripple of fur and muscle atop a wall, or through the bushes. Some will tell you that cats, in their sleek grace and quiet wisdom, are always essentially feminine, as opposed to the boisterous rowdiness of the masculine dog. And cats, of course, have a, a license like almost no other animal. You won't be surprised to go into one of the grandest cathedrals in the world and see a cat sleeping on the altar or happily wandering about during a service. There was, in fact, a case um, of a wedding where a cat jumped onto the shoulder of the vicar during the service. Uh, it was a few months ago that a black cat wandered into the country church where we were holding my mother's funeral and back in 2009 there was a famous cat named Casper which would make a lengthy round trip every day on the buses became quite well known with drivers and passengers down in Plymouth in Britain uh, sorry someone at the back already um heckling here and asking why on dark histories from the secret university uh, we have something so deeply fluffy and so eminently unsinister uh, well apart from of course the reputation of cats as which is familiar the reason is twofold in this case and i have to say if we have any more heckling we're not going to have time for the lovely story about the cat that went to london to see queen victoria which hopefully will fit in at the end uh, number six of these seven great cats why should cats uh, enjoy a place on such a dark and sinister podcast? Dark in the sense of having been forgotten, uh, most of these stories, uh, and dark most of all in the sense of being profoundly mysterious. Some of the abilities of cats on their adventures that we're going to see here uh, throughout history are absolutely astonishing and really should be uh, a discipline of science. We begin in the late 15th century, uh, in the time of wicked king Richard III. Uh, and this is the cat that fed Sir Henry Wyatt. Wyatt had been friendly at Eton with the man Henry Tudor, who was to become the legal heir to the throne, uh, and thus Richard III felt threatened uh, by Wyatt, and Wyatt was imprisoned in the Tower of London. He was tortured, he was very badly housed, not in a dungeon, they don't have any, but uh, in a cold, damp room on a thin straw mattress. Uh, his clothing was in rags almost, uh, and he was given very little food. But things looked up one day when a cat came into the dungeon with him and, as it were, offered herself unto him. He was glad of her, laid her in his bosom to warm him, and by making much of her, won her love. After this, she would come every day unto him diverse times and when she could get him one bring him a pigeon for this the cat came to be known uh, as sir henry's acator or caterer uh, and there are you'll be happy to know two pictures of the cat that fed sir henry wyatt probably being 15th century cat spelt c-a-double-t-e as shakespeare himself uh, might have 
belt it. We'll hear about an interesting kind of ghostly cat from Shakespeare's life at the very end of this episode, cat number seven. But we go now to the 1890s, cat number two uh, could have been forgotten if not for the research of the gentle author here. This is one story from 200 in my book a singing mouse at buckingham palace and big thank you to everyone by the way for a huge response an amazingly uh, popular episode yesterday on singing mice uh, so do try that if you haven't yet listened we go now to london where a family in the 1890s uh, had just moved from lincoln uh, where it shared a semi-detached building uh, they just said goodbye to their neighbour overlooking the car home race course there and taken with them to Forest Hill in London, uh, their family belongings and their cat. They'd only been uh, a little while in the new home in London uh, when they noticed that the cat was not happy. Um, and suddenly, toward the end of the month, the cat disappeared uh, and was given up as irretrievably lost, um, probably given up for dead, given the fact that this was actually a period of an appalling frost and severe snowstorm. But cut back to Lincoln, where the neighbour is still occupying one house in the pair, and suddenly is disturbed by a loud mewing and finds outside the familiar cat, which he has known very well and still does, though it's in uh, a fairly miserable and half skeletal state uh, by this time. Now, when we get to the uh, close of this episode, we'll be meeting a cat that traveled to see the Queen in London. It, in fact, traveled from Lincoln to London by stagecoach, but impressively, uh, our unnamed cat here traveled nearly 140 miles in appalling winter weather uh, in about eight days at a rate of over 17 miles per day and in fact seems to have done the journey faster uh, than the cat did by stagecoach going down to London from Lincoln in the early days of Queen Victoria. Uh, how on earth do cats do this? Uh, there has been very little science on what one day perhaps will give rise to the global catnav uh, and perhaps also a global positioning system. This really should be uh, a branch of science. Uh, but we have actually a little research from the indefatigable uh, Rupert Sheldrake uh, in his book on amazing animal abilities. How do cats go home, uh, often seeming to prefer their home to their owners? Well, it was in the early 20th century um, that the zoologist F.H. Herrick took his cat in a bag to his university office in Cleveland, Ohio, only to have the animal make a dash for freedom the moment it was unzipped and spot the proverb there, but don't expect uh, a prize. When he got home that night, Herrick was puzzled to find that the cat was already back before him. So he decided to make some experiments and took the cat in a closed container and released it at various distances from one to three miles from his home. The result being uh, that he found the animal could 
navigate home uh, under a variety of conditions and from any point of the compass. Uh, how do they do this? Well, we'll come now to a uh, historic cat, which not only pulled off this feat of going back home, uh, but also did it with some impressive cargo in tow. A lady residing in Glasgow had a handsome cat sent to her from Edinburgh. It was conveyed to her in a close basket and in a carriage. She was carefully watched, the cat, for two months, but having produced a pair of young ones at the end of that time, she was left to her own discretion, which she very soon employed in disappearing with both her kittens. The lady in Glasgow wrote to her friend in Edinburgh deploring her loss and the cat was supposed to have formed some new attachment with as little reflection as men and women sometimes do. About a fortnight, however, after her disappearance from Glasgow, her well-known mew was heard at the street door of her old mistress. And there she was with both her kittens they in the best state, but she very thin. It is clear that she could only carry one kitten at a time. The distance from Glasgow to Edinburgh is 40 miles, so that if she brought one kitten part of the way and then went back for the other and thus conveyed them alternately, she must have travelled 120 miles at least. Her prudence must likewise have suggested the necessity of journeying in the night with other precautions for the safety of her young. Well, there's some conjecture here. And sorry, everyone at the back keeps ooing and cooing and purring. If we can have a bit of quiet or we're not going to get to the uh, tale of Queen Victoria's cat in time. A bit of conjecture on how uh, the kittens were carried, but it's clear that the kittens were taken uh, back to Edinburgh from Glasgow uh, with another piece of amazing cat homing, uh, but also the extra cargo in tow. How on earth was this done? Uh, we still don't know, but I should add at this point that some excellent uh, research has been done on dogs, cats, and uh, in fact cows, uh, as well as birds being a bit more obvious in terms of migration, by the parapsychologist Robert Charman uh, in his book, Telepathy, Clairvoyance and Precognition. And he, I think, rightly conjectures that there's some kind of psi trail uh, that the animals are following, PSI, as in parapsychology. But beyond that, we need to know a lot more about this uh, extraordinary ability. Here is another uh, impressive historic uh, tale of a cat uh, again going home. Numerous instances are recorded of remarkable sagacity being displayed by the canine species in traveling long distances to discover the abodes of their masters or former friends, but very few similar cases are related of the domestic cat. The following recent incident, however, is vouched for by several individuals. In May last, a family residing in the south of Ayrshire removed to near Lock End, Edinburgh. One of them, a young woman, leaving behind her a cat which she had been at some pains to rear. A friend with whom the animal was left wrote twice to Edinburgh soon after the family's departure, the first time stating that it had refused to take any food since its mistress left 
and the second time intimating that it had gone away. Nothing more was heard till the end of July, when a poor cat spent almost to a skeleton was observed approaching the house at Lock End, exactly like the cat left behind, which answered at once to the name by which the latter had been known. For several days it scarcely looked up, but by and by showed its recollection of some of its former tricks, and soon convinced the whole family that it was the poor animal that had been left in Ayrshire. How it had travelled and how it had been guided remains a mystery to them, all the more difficult to solve given that part of their journey here was made by water. Well, we're now in the zone of a mystery surely more extraordinary than cats going back home, uh, because you can at least say, well, a cat knew where it once lived. But in this case, the cat is homing in on its owner, and some would feel showing uh, a warmer kind of love for the people who feed uh, and home the animal. Now, this occurred in 1856 in Britain, but these cases have occurred uh, across the globe and across time, being documented fairly recently. And from cat number four there, we cut now to America and a cat named Sugar, our fifth uh, feline hero or heroine, which belonged to a family that moved in 1951 across America. And initially the owners attempted to take Sugar, a cream-colored Persian cat, when they moved from California to their new home in Oklahoma, um, at least a thousand miles away. However, the cat, just as they were waving goodbye to neighbors, jumped out of the car uh, and they decided they didn't like car journeys so left it to be cared for by friends back in California. Uh, presently the cat disappeared from its new California home uh, and after a while with no sign of it they had to assume sadly that it was dead. Uh, but it was about a year later over in Oklahoma when the wife uh, of the family was out hanging up washing uh, when suddenly a cat jumped on her looking like a very worse for wear version of their old Persian sugar uh, and handling the animal in absolute astonishment that it could possibly have found them here in Oklahoma where it had actually never been she realized that it was absolutely certain to be the same cat because it had the same hip defect that their old cat had had. This is something utterly beyond scientific com comprehension. And again, the best guess we have for this is Robert Charman's idea that there's some kind of psi trail, uh, that there's something defying all known science and common sense that the cat can just um, almost magnetically home in on the people it loves. Probably not the longest distance ever traveled, um, over to Oklahoma in 1951, but certainly impressive, at least a thousand miles. Well, we come now to cat number six, uh, which had an easier time of it, but a lengthy journey. And this is the cat that went to London to see the Queen. Story here from June 18. 
39. A few months ago, an old woman named Baker, living at Screedington near Sleaford in Lincolnshire, sent a kitten to the Queen. It was placed in a basket, furnished with white clothes for it to lie on, with an abundant supply of bread and butter for its sustenance during its long journey. The basket also contained a letter setting forth how, some time before Her Majesty was crowned, the old woman had been informed in her midnight visions that her favourite tabby would have three kittens on the day of the coronation and had been commanded to send one of the litter to the Queen. The day arrived and wondrous to tell the cat did bring forth three kittens. The old woman, not at all surprised at the event, selected the finest of the feline trio, upon the head of which her fancy had impressed a crown, and securing it in a hamper as above related, she dispatched it by coach, having appended to it the following direction. To the Queen, in London or elsewhere, to be taken great care of. Nothing was heard of Pussy's journey, and the newspapers contained no account of her arrival at the palace to satisfy the old woman, who, indeed, had almost despaired of the cat having reached her destination, when, a few days ago, a letter bearing the royal arms was received by the old lady. It was from the Queen, and contained the important information of the young kids having safely arrived, and that she had become a very fine cat. And in proof of the letter being genuine, two Bank of England £5 notes were enclosed. The letter and the notes were unintelligible to the old woman who cannot read, but on her being informed of the meaning thereof, she could not restrain her expressions of gratitude to Her Majesty, who had thus been the means of affording an accession of comfort to one who, though fantastic in her notions, is not an undeserving object. She immediately laid in a stock of tea and bought two pigs, putting the remainder of the money in the savings bank. Her Majesty's generosity will, therefore, in all probability, be productive of comfort to the old woman to her dying day. Though the good dame was confident that the migration of Puss would produce a useful result, her husband was incredulous, and much he feared that the act of his wife would be considered an insult towards Her Majesty. The old people were weeding on the farm of Mr Robert Spanby when the letter arrived, and its contents, to them a little fortune, not only rejoiced the hearts of both by the sudden acquisition of wealth, but relieved the old man's mind of the dread of expected punishment. The old lady, too, had been subjected to the jeers of her neighbours for what they thought a foolish whim, but the arrival of the money turned the tables and caused the old people to be envied by them. As we've seen, uh, a cat could make the journey in the reverse direction quicker uh, on foot in very bad winter weather, but at least it got there with its supply of bread and butter, presumably supplemented en route uh, by the drivers or uh, others uh, at the inns along the way. We know this story is true, incidentally, because it actually features from the other end in Queen Victoria's diaries when she got a hamper, which she expected I think, to be flowers or such like one day, opened it up and found this cat jumped out. Yet further proof that cats have uh, a strange license, which no other animals do and indeed may uh, speak with kings and Queens. Uh, Victoria, as you'll know, was uh, immensely fond of animals. A lot of drawings of her uh, pets, particularly dogs, survive. And if I get time uh, this week or next, I'll be releasing another episode on uh, Queen Victoria and 
animals, some of them, of course, being quite exotic specimens sent from across the empire uh, and looked after by London Zoo. Well, that was cat number six. I hope you agree, a worthy uh, and royal subject. Finally come to a kind of ghostly cat for number seven. It's always fascinated me uh, that Shakespeare survived several plagues uh, in his lifetime. They made him a little bit miserable because they closed down the theatres along with much else in London. But they didn't kill off Shakespeare. He lived to actually a reasonable good old age uh, for a period when average life expectancy was about 45 the question is, though, uh, how did Shakespeare even survive his infancy? He was born in a plague year, uh, and there were people dying very fast uh, that year in 1564, come the autumn uh, in Stratford-on-Avon. Most houses, of course, had cats, and it's one reason why cats have been allowed to wander freely in churches and cathedrals to kill uh, rats or mice. Uh, very few people would have been mad enough to feed a cat. If you did, it wouldn't do its job. So we have to wonder if there was a ghostly cat to which we owe the celebrated and sparkling works of the best-selling fiction author of all time. Was there a cat cracking the necks of brown rats around that sacred cradle uh, as Shakespeare was early dreaming of the glories to come. Well, we've just time left now, I think, to make it clear to listeners why I am in no fit position ever to be allowed uh, a cat ever again. It was in about 1980, I think, when my brother and I came back in our mother's car from a very exciting trip out just before Christmas uh, with a small black kitten clutched within my jacket. Um, and Sooty, as he became known, uh, rescued from the cat's home where various assembled cats and kittens were climbing up the curtains uh, for a donation of 50 pence. Lived with us for 10 years. And after that, I was traveling, uh, moving around the country a great deal. Uh, Leeds for my first degree. Uh, Edinburgh for the start of my postgraduate. Southampton uh, for my doctorate. And on to Cardiff before I worked at uh Durham, where my friend's cat would wander out of uh, the house back to Narnia. But I did get an option to have a cat uh, a few years ago. Uh, my neighbours uh, at that point were some students who had a black and white cat named Ziggy. And when they moved, in fact, only just over the road, uh, they had a different animal who wouldn't allow cats. So they asked me if I'd like to have Ziggy and gave me the cat basket and cat toys and the rest of it so I took in the cat and decided to keep it indoors uh, for a little while to get it used to its new home um, after about five or six days it was pouncing on me one morning about five in the morning in bed um, so I decided to let the animal out now the problem with uh, my house is that it has no back door um, and it had no cat flap so I let it out the front door early in the morning uh, and 
sadly enough, it did not come back and it kept not coming back. And over the next few hours and days, cycling around on my bicycle with eyes peeled for Ziggy the cat, I came to realise that black and white is absolutely the default cat breed uh, of Cardiff, if not of Wales. Every damn cat from a distance looks like Ziggy, but turned out not to be Ziggy. Well, the neighbours have put out flyers and inquiries and were quite upset. Amber was particularly, I think, the cat's default mother uh, and was often asking me whether Ziggy had come back. And some weeks had gone by and Ziggy had not come back. One summer evening when I cycled back uh, from a ride, I went down a little cul-de-sac close, which I uh, never normally visited to, to make another check for Ziggy. And suddenly there it was. So I locked up the bike, uh, got hold of the cat and began carrying it. It was a fairly short distance uh, around the corner back to my house. Unfortunately, in between uh, this cul-de-sac and my house was uh, a very busy main road. And a few feet from the main road, the cat would get panicked, run back down to the end of the cul-de-sac. So I picked it up again, tried to carry it back. By this time, the cat shredded my shirt half to ribbons and making good work on my stomach as, as well. Uh, when I happened to spy, luckily enough, uh, a couple of parents and their young daughter getting into their car just along the uh, road. And I explained to them what's going on. I've lost my cat. I finally found it. And uh, could they possibly, I know this is daft, but could they possibly be a lift just around the corner? It's just, you know, five minutes away. Well, the cat, uh, as perhaps often the case, calms itself in the arms of the young uh, daughter and behaves very well as we sit there in the car, uh, zip round the main road and uh, get back to my house. Thank them profusely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, drop the cat back inside uh, and then run over the road to tell Amber we've got Ziggy back. And uh, Amber comes over. We open up the house uh, and find the cat there wandering about, looking a bit sort of disorientated, but it's obviously early days after many weeks absence, uh, at which Amber looks down at the cat, looks back at me and utters the fateful words, Richard, that's not Ziggy. Damn. So with the cat carrier, which luckily I still happen to uh, own, I made a stealthy journey under cover of the night a little bit later uh, and dropped the cat back. Uh, whether it is still around nowadays and remembers in its dotage that strange adventure and how it was catnapped by a well-meaning academic. Who knows? But there you go. I'm not fit to own any animal, uh, cat or mouse or otherwise. This has been Dark Histories from the Secret University. Many thanks for listening. We'll have many, many more strange, wonderful uh, and deeply fluffy animal stories in coming days and weeks.